You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The only rational thought that I was having that next morning was we have just suffered a massive trauma. Not tragedy, trauma. And if we were in a car accident, we would be in an emergency room right now. If we were bleeding to death, we would be in an emergency room. If we were having a heart attack, we would be in an emergency room. We belong in a psychological emergency room. Hi, I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. Dr. Janash is laughing at me right now. She's the ABC News chief Always. medical correspondent, chief medical women's health contributor for uh, the, the Dr. Ross show, which is a blessing to have you on the program all the time. But more importantly, she's a fantastic family uh, friend who we spent a lot of time with and we've done some grieving with. Today, she's here all together. Lisa's as well joining us. We're going to open up about one of the most painful periods in Jen's life, the death of her ex-husband and the father of her children who took his own life. This is difficult for me because I met Robbie Ashton 30 years ago. Uh, Robbie was living with us, actually, working in my lab when he met Jen. And the kids one day said, Robbie didn't come home. And then they kept asking that question for about six months. We finally broke it to them that he'd fallen madly in love with this beautiful medical student who um, had actually also been in our division rotating through and they'd met and their life seemed like Camelot. It was a dream. I should point out that Jen is... uh, it's godmother to our daughter Zoe, and uh, and Lisa and I are god uh, par- godparents to, uh, to Alex, mm-hmm. her son. So we're intertwined, our family, and I've avoided talking about this topic till today for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one of them was it's not my story to tell, even though I feel some ownership over it because I loved Robbie so much, but partly because I was personally struggling with what happened because uh, my friend Robbie Ashton threw himself off the George Washington Bridge, and. Jen decided bravely to write a book called Life After Suicide, just came out. And let me just start off by asking why. Why did you decide to talk, to repeat a story that was already painful enough the first time you lived it? Um, I think there were a couple of reasons, Mehmet. One is that, as you both know, and I think this is probably true for both of you as well, 
I'm much more comfortable being the one giving the help than asking for the help. I am much more comfortable being in the role of healer than the person who needs to be healed. And part of the reason I wrote the book is because I realized through, partially through serendipity, partially through my job at ABC and Good Morning America when I had to talk about Kate Spade's suicide um, and, and share my own experience then, so that was just June of 2018, I realized that sharing our story would help other people and would help us heal and recover, and that it could do both of those things in a way that honored Rob's spirit as a healer, as someone who always wanted to help other people. But it wasn't until I started to see and hear the massive social media response when I started to share our story after Kate Spade's death that... um, Chloe and Alex, my children, um, came to me and said, do you see how many people are hurting? Do you see how many people are going through what we're going through? You have to use your voice. And they don't have a national media platform. You do. You have to help them. And that's kind of the way it started. Can you take us back to to what happened? And put it in the context of what was going on in your personal lives so people can understand Robbie. Because much of what was happening was completely, even to me, unclear. I, I was with Robbie and you the weekend before he died mm-hmm. at a track meet that our kids were competing at. Right. I, Oliver, my son, and, and uh, Chloe, your daughter, are you know same similar age, so they you know, do things together a fair mm-hmm. amount. They fight a lot together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a powerful story of the two of them when they were little kids sledding down the hill in Maine. Oh my God. And Oliver was just pummeling little Chloe, who's, Chloe's a world-class athlete, she's going to be playing hockey at Harvard. Uh, yeah, until she pummeled him. And then, and then she <laughs> went, right, no, right. she was much smaller than Oliver. And they, you know, right. the little kids are even smaller than each other. Plus, I think he tried to pummel her and then she retaliated and came back into the kitchen and knew that she would get her best chance at getting him into trouble by going directly to Lisa and saying, <laughs> you're not going to believe what Oliver did to me. And then you, Mamet, went to Oliver and said, Oliver, why did you do that to Chloe? Obviously, it's because you don't like her beating you. And then right. it just Ex- escalated. Yeah, it was like tossing fuel on the fire. Well, but, but Chloe's gotten smarter. And, and <laughs> but after one of their pummelings. And possibly stronger. And possibly stronger. <laughs> One of their pummeling said, uh, Oliver, you're only beating me up because you like me. Yes. Which immediately got him to cease all type of <laughs> That's correct. bullying behavior. But we but, do secretly hope that there might be like a future <laughs> union. But we were together at this track meet, um, sitting, and, and Robbie was explaining the track meet to me because I don't go to a lot of track meets. And it is sort of confusing, all these different activities happening at once. How many meets are there and how many uh, heats events, are there, rather, yeah. events, et cetera. And he was very matter of fact and business as usual. And I was sort of impressed because I know that you you were finalizing your divorce right at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was going on personally for us, and I won't speak for Rob, but for from my end, and it's not that different from the interpretation that you and Lisa had that day. I was out with Lisa the night before Rob killed himself directly across the street from his apartment. And we were talking about kind of 
where things had been, what had happened between the two of us and where we had hoped our future would bring us. And basically it was that, you know, we as a couple had so prioritized raising our children, largely at the expense of prioritizing our marriage and our relationship. And after 21 years, had also grown apart because our individual paths had kind of taken different courses. So the two of those things together had gotten us to a point after couples therapy and about five-plus years of working to try to save our marriage to the point where we said to each other, and I definitely said this to Rob, and he echoed it back to me, we loved each other. We were no longer in love with each other. We thought it was best for everyone that we separate and end our marriage, but we were so committed to having an evolved divorce, and we were really proud of the fact that we had done that. There was no, you know, ugly legal evisceration. We weren't trying to destroy each other. Um, we, We ended our marriage with the love and respect for what we had had and what we wanted to have in the future. And I was very proud of the way we had done that. I know Rob had felt that too. Uh, I was sharing that with Lisa the night before Rob died. And the only thing for me that was almost Shakespearean in the tragic nature of it is that and and I had I remember telling you this, Lisa, when I called you both to tell you that we had decided to end our marriage and um, you were away with your family. And, and I remember saying to you, you know, I don't think Rob loves me anymore. And I don't really think this is that upsetting to him, really, you know, and that that was so sad for me because part of me wanted him to fight to save our marriage. And he never did. And so when we finalized our divorce, I remember thinking like a sigh of relief, like we had gotten through a horrible time in an evolved, kind, respectful way to each other, to our family, to our kids. And I was hoping that we would then both of us go on to have, you know, part kind of part two of our lives together. And when I found out that he had killed himself, I thought maybe he wasn't pulling away from our marriage like I thought he was. Maybe he wasn't pulling away from his career as a surgeon like I thought he had done in 2012. Maybe he was pulling away from life, and I didn't see that. And, of course, that didn't make me feel better. <laughs> it, was, it was just, and I'll never know the answer to that, but that is— how I started to kind of make a theory. We've got some more questions after the break. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot before you get into the, just the specifics of the story, because the devil's in the details, I've been stunned at how frequently I have missed the, the profound depression of people who are about to commit suicide. I, I, I feel like I can identify depressed people more than suicidal people. Mm-hmm. And I've been told that's because suicidal people are so confident because you don't commit suicide by mistake, right? You know you're right. You know everyone else is wrong, and they're delusional, and because you've got to figure it out, you're going to take your own life. Because that's a pretty drastic step, right? Mm-hmm. It's a long-term solution to a short-term problem, right. as is often said. So uh, I, 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 there are a few other suicides that I've been involved with. A classmate from medical school and college, no idea. I'd seen the guy days before. A guy who I was with at a party who I trained with, later that night kills himself. I mean, just completely out of the blue to me. But obviously, there was something going on. Is that what you have found that as, you've, as people have written to you? Is that the norm? Um, from what I've learned, and this is in speaking to psychiatrists and suicidologists who have their whole career in this world, there are basically two categories of suicide. There's the impulsive category, which unfortunately oftentimes, often but not always, is the younger, the teenager, the young adult whose frontal lobe isn't developed fully and they're impulsive and they make a rash decision. And I believe that Rob's was definitely in that category. And then there's the chronic, relentless mental illness. Right. Um, Oftentimes with people who may have an official diagnosis like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. But those people you might expect an issue with. I bet you it's the earlier group that's the one that's so stunning to me. And I think that when he left his career as a surgeon, to me, and I know that you guys must have thought the same thing, that to me was such a red flag of not being, quote unquote, normal. But did I say, oh, this could be someone who's suffering from untreated depression, or this could be someone that would be suicidal? No. My reaction, other than being completely blindsided when he walked away from his career as a surgeon, is who does that? And that, to me, in retrospect, should have been a red flag. But you never know that until it's too late. 
Right. I, yeah, I, I, I was just know. angry. So I, I had very well. Uh, oh, you mean when he left surgery? Yeah, when he left surgery. Yeah. I mean, about yeah. the whole episode. I, so I trained Robbie. Very proud. Uh, recruited him to our program. I thought he was fantastic. And somewhere towards the end of his training, he stopped operating with me. And I challenged him one day because usually the chief resident would operate with me because I was doing right. big cases and a lot of them. And it's usually how chief residents would right. learn, just do the big cases with someone who does a lot of them. So I was upset, disappointed. That he'd, and he said, I, I don't think I can do what you do. I, I think I need to be a different kind of surgeon. I said, what are you talking about? I, we recruited you with the confidence that you could do this. I spent my whole life playing basketball with you. I know you can deal with pressure. I know you can deal with decisions and, and own up to mistakes. And he said, no, I can't. So I, I was upset that he hadn't told me this ahead of time. He decided on his own, in, and he was very secretive about these kinds of things, which is, I guess, another sign for anyone listening at home. If you know people who are secretive in your life, don't trust that they'll tell you their secrets. Right. Because that's what secretive means. Right. And then when he left his position in medicine, I was disappointed. He didn't talk to me about it. He seemed to make a decision based on a whimsical field. That, and he didn't talk to me about it either. Yeah, which is even you know even more difficult. I didn't realize that. I thought you were in on the... So then, so, so let's fast forward. So you go to dinner with Lisa the night before Robbie, Robbie takes his life. You have right. no idea this is going to happen. Right. You go to bed. And just to outline this, you... You're, you have a, a beautiful apartment. It, it's it's not far from where we live in right. New Jersey, but it overlooks the George Washington Bridge of Manhattan. Yeah, we used to. We used moved. to, used to, yeah. But yeah. so you have that he lives. He moves to a building right next to you, mm-hmm. and then he, you know, he jumps out off the bridge where you could have seen him theoretically. Literally. Well, it's worse than that, actually. And the the you know a lot of people, certainly the people whose stories I also share in the book, um. You know, when someone has been through a major trauma of getting this kind of news or watching something happen, but mostly getting, the, you know, things tend to slow down and go into that like slow motion, yeah. you know, mental movie mode. And that morning was no different. So that morning, I woke up early as I always do. Alex um, was home from from Columbia because he had had the flu that week. So He's a college student. Yeah, my son, um, who at that time was 18, he was a freshman at Columbia, and he had been sick that week, kind of with a flu-like illness. He came home. Rob and I were texting each other the day before. Rob asked me, you know, is there anything you need for Alex? I can get it for you. I said, no, he's getting better. Thanks. No issue. No sign. Nothing. Lisa and I go out to dinner that night, the night before he killed himself. We're literally feet from Rob's apartment. And we had a great dinner because we're so busy. We didn't, we don't really have the time to kind of really connect and speak, you know, unpressured, unhurried. And we were really, you know, talking about a lot. And then I went back to your house and saw your baby chick. Remember? (laughs) (laughs) We have have chickens. Control your excitement. (laughs) (laughs) So you had just hatched a baby chick. So Lisa and I were going to watch a movie, and she showed me the chick. And in going to your house, I made an illegal U-turn right by the restaurant. And I got a ticket, which I'm such a rule follower that I was horrified. I don't know that I've ever gotten a ticket for, you know, running a stop sign or anything like that. Does ABC News know? (laughs) I've I've had to disclose that, yes. Now they know. (laughs) And... So when I woke up on Saturday morning, Alex was still asleep. I went, I decided to go to Soul Cycle in New York City, which I often do on the weekends. And I was running late and I looked, I was driving over the George Washington Bridge 
And I looked at the clock and it was 8.13. And the class was supposed to start at 8.30. And so I barely made it to the class in time. The class started at 8.30, went till 9.15. I got home. Alex was starting to wake up. I got in the shower and I got out of the shower and finished getting dressed. And the doorman called me and said, there's three detectives coming up to see you. And all I could think of was the night before my ticket that I had gotten going to your house with <laughs> They'd Lisa. they come to get you. And I thought, God, they're so, like, they really take these illegal U-turns seriously. <laughs> like, what, am I going to get fingerprinted? Like, I, my God. Like, I literally, I was, I felt like my chest getting tight. I thought, I, I cannot believe. Then I started to think, like, Maybe someone stole my car. Maybe I have a stalker because, you know, I've had stalkers from being on TV. I I mean, I didn't know. But my first thought was that (laughs) U-turn. And I walked by Alex's room. I told him that there were detectives coming up. And he said, about what? I said, maybe it was that U-turn with Lisa last night. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I just, you know, and Alex was probably rolling such a bad influence. I know, right? (laughs) You know my mom, always getting into trouble. And so... Then it became literally like a scene from a movie because I opened the door. The detective showed me their badges. They said, are you Dr. Jennifer Ashton? And I said, yes, what's going on? They said, "Uh, can we come in? I said, what's going on? And they said, ma'am, we think you should sit down. And I went into the living room. I still had no idea what they could be about to tell me. I mean, my mind was completely blank. I didn't, I, it's not like I thought had an idea in my head. And I sat down um, just as far as we are right now, Mehmet, maybe 18 inches from the lead detective. And he said, we found your name on the remains of your husband who jumped off the bridge at 834 oh, this morning. Oh, my goodness. And I, when I heard the word remains... I collapsed onto my knees, onto his knees, and started screaming. And after that, you know, when I think back to that moment and that morning and those minutes and hours, there are so the two things that I will never get out of my mind are that the what ifs that everyone who loses a loved one to suicide, like you are being at a cocktail party with a colleague of yours and that night he kills himself or, you know, that what if I had pulled out of my garage, seen Rob walking and just thought, oh, he's taking a walk and kept going. Or what if I had been on the bridge and seen him go over Mm. Or what if Alex had been looking out his window and see, I mean, the, the li- it just goes on and on. And so those thoughts are, I mean, to say haunting and upsetting is an understatement. The other thought that I have, which is almost like the opposite, which I think is actually, I'm thinking of it like the end of our love story, really, is that in Rob's pocket, was a note, a piece of paper that said, had my name on it, had my cell phone number, and said, call my wife. It didn't say call my ex-wife. It didn't say call Jen Ashton. And by the way, either of your names could have been on that note. He could have had anyone's name on that note. He could have had his best friends. 
And he could have had his, his best friend who lives in Florida. Um, he, your names could have been on it easily. But it was my name, and it, and it said, call my wife. And I think that, I mean, I'm choosing to think of this as the end of our love story because I think it speaks to how, you know, we had just gotten divorced 18 days later, but we really didn't act divorced in the connection that we still had and that I'll always have with him. More questions after the break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. I'm going to get back to the personal, how you coped in a second, but I, the first news, of course, was, you know, Jen Ashton's husband commits suicide. And then you started getting people critical of the fact mm-hmm. that the suicide must have been related to the divorce. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, just putting the pieces of the puzzle together, you'd put them next to each other. Right. Even though as you discuss, and I, we lived it. I'm sorry, we heard a, a test of the fact I had no idea. Right. I, I was also surprised. In fact, Lisa and I would talk about it and say, I don't know why Rob has lost his machisma. Why isn't he fighting for stuff? The job, the procedures he wanted to do, the tasks in life for you, the marriage. I just couldn't put my head around it. It, it, it. Again, as a male, it just angered me. I expected more from Rob. Completely out the lunch I was about the possibility that he was just profoundly depressed and was expressing it in a way that I didn't, I was not taught in med school to, to look for. Mm-hmm. How did you react when people started saying, well, you, you just got divorced? Well, I mean, yeah. two plus two is... I mean, you know, I, ra- I reacted a couple of ways. Number one, and this is actually something that Chloe, Alex, and I feel very strongly about to this day is that those headlines, which they were national headlines, 
were more about me than about Rob and more about the way he died than the way he lived. And so being protective of him and his memory and his legacy, that, that to us is a real shame, to put it lightly. It's insulting to him. And it's hurtful to Alex and Chloe. Um, he had his own identity and wasn't just surgeon, ex-husband of TV personality doctor. So to have that be the headline, I think, is, is really di- kind of disgusting and disrespectful to him. To connect it with our divorce, which I understand from people who didn't know, but think about that. That's, that's the, like, definition of keyboard courage, right? People who don't know anything about the real you or the real situation or what's really going on think they do and come to a decision that they're completely, you know, out of line to, to formulate. Um, and what they didn't really know and what we've just discussed is that really, first of all, in a relationship, it takes two people to have a successful relationship. It takes two people to have an unsuccessful relationship. So the fact that our marriage ended wasn't Rob's fault, just like it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. There were two of us involved in that relationship. And so I think that, you know, it's unfortunate, but on a macro level, what's really unfortunate about it is that for people to think that the people who die by suicide, that it's as simple as a divorce or losing a job or being insulted, or it's not that simple, right? Because people are insulted every day. They don't choose to get off the planet. 60% of marriages end in divorce. They don't end in one of the people killing themselves. So it, it reflects an ig- ignorance as to how complicated this issue really is. How are you dealing with that, Lisa, when you're, you'd hear those stories? I mean, you're first on the scene, right? Literally. <laughs> yeah. I should tell that story. So the, the police officers, who I know you're very appreciative of, because I don't totally. know how they, I don't know how right. detectives tell people bad news. I mean, this right. is, they come out of nowhere. They have no idea who you are. And they got to tell you stuff that is earth shattering. I mean, I, I was obviously, Alex and I were hysterical. I was in worse shape than Alex. I couldn't even dial my phone. And the first thing I said to Alex after the detectives left was call Evan, call Uncle Evan, my brother, who's also a surgeon who lives 15 minutes away in the city. And when he got, he got to our apartment in 15 minutes and um, I told him to call three people. One is my best friend, Alice, who's a doctor, whose sister, also a doctor, had killed herself six months before. Mm. Mm. Um, the other one was uh, my then best friend, guy friend, Michael, and the third person was Lisa. And Lisa was at our apartment within a half hour. And, um, you know, we've, as you said, we've been closer than close, you know, for 25 years. And I've certainly never seen Lisa in that, in that condition, just like I know she's never seen me in the condition I was in. Robbie dated Lisa's sister, everyone that knows. So we actually known Robbie, like, I mean, he has been family for longer than even you've known him. Right. Which again, why, it throws a, a monkey wrench into your worldview when you know someone that long. 
I don't know. I, all but you folks, think you know them. Right. Then the, the, that's part of the problem, too, is that a suicide also impacts the past because all the things you thought you knew about someone are blown up with that choice. Because if you had asked me a week before if Rob would ever kill himself, I would put money, I would have staked my entire net worth on the fact that no way, that yeah. he's just, a, that's not in his DNA. Yeah. And I would have been so wrong. And so now there's a filter on every memory I have of him looking at it through the his last choice, and it colors everything else right. that I remember. Right. I mean, I know exactly what you're saying, Lisa, because I, I look at a picture that was taken in the delivery room right after I gave birth to Chloe. And it's, you know, Rob with his arm around me and we're holding Chloe. And I thought, and I look at that picture and I think to myself, was he having thoughts then? You know, like we had just had our second child together. Like, was he thinking that he wanted to kill himself then? You know, so it's that kind of filter that now, you know, I go back also and think, when is the first time he thought this? When did he think of it before? You know, it's it's it has made me second guess a lot. How, how have the kids dealt with that specific issue? The fact that their father may not have, the father did not communicate to them what he was actually thinking. You know, Alex and Chloe have used that as actually an incredible life lesson taught to them by their father, which is they have learned through his inability to do so why it's so important to be expressive and communicative and open and honest with their emotions. Because as you guys know, and, you know, Mehmet, I think this this would be also true for you, um, I would say, from my vantage point, although I want, of course, Lisa to weigh in on this. But, you know, Rob, as a cardiothoracic surgeon, was very kind of typical of the personality in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which is a very restricted emotional range, right? Because yep. that's how you guys do what you do. Yep. You don't want to be too excited and you don't want to be too upset when the highs and lows happen. So you keep things in a controlled middle range. Now, Rob's middle range was more restricted and constricted, I think, than yours. But it was pretty kind of classic heart-lung surgeon. Wouldn't you agree, Lisa? Like, Yeah. You know, I I never saw Rob angry. Never. Right. I mean, even when exactly. you, your whole, you know, the demise of your marriage, the divorce, I mean— Never. Right. I never heard him raise his voice. So I, n- I never saw angry Rob. But now that you mention it, he was always even keeled. He was not like the guy who'd go crazy at a party. No. I never saw him drunk. Right. He wasn't like loud and boisterous and having like gleeful. The happiest I ever saw him was like the day he came home and met you. And he, you could tell he was radiating. But it wasn't like, you know. But your point's a good one. The there, there's a poker face. Yeah. That yeah. we're taught to have. Right. Although I, I do believe some of that Robbie had already. I do too. And I, I think that that has to do with who he is and how he grew up. But if you, my opinion as a mother now, and this is not as a doctor, this is not as a, a suicide survivor, my opinion as a mother is that if when you're a child, you don't learn to be okay in pain and fear and upset, just as you're okay when things are great, you don't develop that 
distress tolerance, as the psychologists call it, to go out there into the world. And I think that's one of the biggest jobs or responsibilities that I see as a mother is teaching my kids that it is okay to experience the lowest of the low and the highest of the high and find your way back in the middle and know that you'll be able to survive that. I don't think Rob ever had any comfort with distress tolerance. And I I also, as you just play off that, I don't think Rob was thinking about suicide frequently, if I had to guess. And I say that because when you came on the show to talk about Rob's death, there was a woman who we had on that you were going to help. Mm -hmm. And you did help her. But after the lights went off and the cameras turned off, she said something that I'll never forget. I was so stunned by it. She says, you know, my husband committed suicide two months after Robbie. And we remember watching the news story of his death. And my husband said, I have no idea how a man could do that to his wife. I would never do that. Mm-hmm. So at least in her case, and she was brave to share the story, yep. her husband had ac- actively told her he wouldn't do it. So it makes me think that the lack of resilience is not that you, all along you're tempted to do bad to yourself and then you don't. It's literally you don't have the coping skills so when it really, really That's goes right. bad. When, right. when Camelot ends and you've lost your wife, you can't acknowledge that reality to yourself so you pretend it's not really happening, at least to, your, to, the, to the world around you. Calls you the, his wife still which sort of almost underlines the reality of the connection here. Cause they could, but again, I'm not, not about your role and about Robbie's role in it, which is again, the call to action to all the folks listening right now, because right. it'll come out of left field and it'll often come because there's not a lot of resilience. Not, what was the word you use? Psycholo- Distress tolerance. Distress tolerance. Yeah. Which again, that's one of the reasons I love sports is because you learn to lose. Not, not to, you that's don't learn right. to like losing. <laughs> right. You learn to lose. So you that's know right. what it feels like. So you can avoid doing it right. and cope with it when it does right. happen, because it's going to happen. Exactly. And I think that that's what the ki- that's how the kids have processed what they, you know, now know their father to, you know, to have been obviously his fatal flaw was that he was incapable of expressing his true feelings to himself, to other people, to experiencing those ranges. And they've seen what it did to him. So let's walk through what happened afterwards. So you've got your brother, these uh, other friends there. You decide to go to a therapist within 24 hours yeah. of losing Robbie. I mean, yeah. you make some pretty bold decisions. I probably would have simply rolled up in my bed. Uh, how did you decide to do what you did? How did you get the kids? Well, oh, there's a second tragedy, right? When there's a suicide. Yeah. There's, a, there's also the tragedy of the family left behind. Right. The I mean, first of all, we were all in shock that as— I know you guys were. Um, but the the physiology of that shock was something that I have never, uh, first of all, I've never seen it in someone else. And I didn't even know as a doctor that that's what people experience. But, um, you know, we were literally, I felt like I was walking through cement. I, I lost nine pounds in 10 days. I literally couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep for more than two hours, even with medication. And the only rational thought that I was having that next morning was, which I attribute purely to maternal instinct of protecting your children in in a situation like this, is we have just suffered 
a massive trauma. Not tragedy, trauma. And if we were in a car accident, we would be in an emergency room right now. If we were bleeding to death, we would be in an emergency room. If we were having a heart attack, we would be in an emergency room. We belong in a psychological emergency room. And all three of us, thank God we were already plugged into this woman because of the couples therapy that Rob and I had been through. This was the woman that had asked Rob overtly about any suicidal ideas. She must have been shocked to get the news. She was. She was. And this is a woman who's in her early 70s. She's been doing this a long time. Oh, my goodness. And we, we got ourselves to her office on the Sunday afternoon. I thought we were there for an hour. I describe in the book we were there for over three hours. And she was, you know, if you have a hip replacement, they don't just operate on your hip and then leave you in a bed. There's someone there who gets <laughs> you out of bed a couple hours later and says, okay, Take your first steps, new hip, you know, and that's literally what we were doing in there. And she was saying, you know, this is, you know, how you're going to feel. This is normal. This is what you might expect. She gave us some stuff to read. She said, if you feel up to it, you can maybe this will, you know, help you a little bit. I'll see you in three days. You know, there was like immediate follow up. And, um, you know, she gave us a place that was safe and supported with knowledge and expertise to help us navigate, you know, the trauma that we had just been through. And it made a massive difference. As you look back on those critical first days, what do you wish people had told you? What do I wish they had told me? What do you wish you had realized or known that you've figured out later on? What's the big epiphany? You know, I don't, I think that there's nothing that would have helped in those first few days the things that did help were just um, people being with us. You know, I mean, I don't remember a single thing that Lisa said to me. I just remember us I holding- have that problem a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens all, all the time. I'm often asleep when she's saying them. That's the idea. She's very sneaky like yes. that. Um, but I remember us just holding each other and hugging each other and crying. Um, I remember- I remember what you said to me, and I remember how angry you were at Rob. And I, then I remember you asked me if we needed anything. And, um, you know, I don't think people—there's nothing people need to say. They just need to, you know, be with you and hold your hand and hug you and be in the same room. Or, you know, I, I do remember a couple of days— um, after Rob died, the kids said, Mom, we can't stay in this apartment. I mean, all the shades were down because every window on the 40th floor looked out onto the bridge. Yeah, you exactly. And I remember Lisa said, move into our house right now with your three dogs. And it, right now, you never have to go back into no, that she, apartment. She, wore, she, she cleaned the house. She was ready for, <laughs> she, seriously, she thought you were moving in. I First thought you were moving in. <laughs> I thought you, it was really helpful. You should do that again. Right? Should I move in yeah, again this year? In. I'm coming over. I'm coming over. And Lisa, th- did you hear that? And that that is really helpful because sometimes you, things seem like they're so insurmountable, and Lisa made it seem really easy. She was like, this is, don't overthink it. Get they, in your car, come down with your dogs, and you don't have to go back to that apartment again. The people I respect most in the, in the grief management space give that advice. 
don't ask people what you can do for them. Right. It's like asking what kind of birth, what do you want for your birthday? That's right. not a, that's, that's not right. a present. Right. That's homework. That, exactly. It's, you, you do, do that things. every year. I know. I'm not a good example. <laughs> I'm the anti-example. I'm the anti-good behavior person. I would never ask you what you want for your birthday. <laughs> oh, sure. yeah, just notice get you I offered the house, <laughs> not you. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, but very concretely, go make make lasagna for them. Take it over. If they don't eat it, they will eat it. But, you know, you give it to them. Right. Give them the stuff that you would want if you were in their shoes. If yeah. you're wrong, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I get to see the kids, but just to lay everyone's concerns, how, how how's Chloe doing? And Chloe, Chloe and Alex are amazing. Um, and they're doing really, really well. We all have our sad days. We all have our great days. And on those great days, we all think of Rob in in only positive, kind of loving way, which I which was my biggest concern as their mother, because I thought is now every major celebratory event in their lives, will it be ruined by what Rob did? And I will say that so far, not that there won't be those days, but, um, you know, you might have to walk, you might have to walk Chloe down the aisle with Alex when she marries Oliver. <laughs> but she, she has gotten to the point where, you know, she's about to graduate finally from high school. Um, and, you know, she feels Rob's presence in her life and knows that he would be so proud of her. And Alex... Um, also same thing. I think they both miss their father, but they understand that he, you know, died of a disease and, um, with the therapy that we've all had and will continue to have, um, they're, they feel, I think, very fortunate that they've experienced, you know, a degree of post-traumatic growth and they feel very close to, to you and your family and, uh, two of Rob's best friends, um, they feel that connection to Rob through those friends and through you, what, which I think is really important. What would you say to Rob if if you could get through it? If you if you had seen him on the bridge that morning, riding, and you just called him on the phone and said, "Hey, I just saw you walking on the bridge," and you realized what was happening, what would you tell him? I would say, your kids need you. Don't do this to them, and it will get better. Um, you know, I think that the hardest part of being a mother to two children whose, whose father died by suicide is that we all want to protect our kids from hurt and pain in life. and. I definitely feel like I failed in that. I, you know, I wasn't able to protect them from the worst pain that they could possibly go through. And that I've had to come to terms with that because rationally I realized that, you know, as my brother said to me, and I describe his words in the book, you know, if someone unfortunately wants to kill themselves, they will kill themselves. Especially if they don't ask for help. And so the blame or guilt that I have for not protecting my children from this kind of pain, I realize is just not logical. And um but that that is 
It's one thing to see someone hurt themselves, but when you see them hurt your children, it, it, it kind of takes the pain to a whole new level. Jen, thank you. I know it was uh, difficult to talk about what is, I think is a very brave story. You tell it beautifully in your book, Life After Suicide, Finding Courage, Comfort, and Community After Unthinkable Loss. And I want to point out to everybody, and this is important to Jen and Lisa as well, if you or someone that you know is considering suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255. Text HELP to the crisis text line at 741-741, or just go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Do it. And Mehmet and Lisa, you guys know that, you know, Rob always wanted to help people. And even in in this very, very poor decision he made, I know that he would want this story to help um, people suffering. And um, so the profits from the book are being donated to uh, two organizations in his memory, Vibrant Emotional Health and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So... Um, you're shining a light on this issue, I have to believe uh, can help save lives. And that's what I know he would want to. Dr. Jennifer Ashton, thank you very much. Thanks. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G dot com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.